Alan Lavelle Griffin. Know what we're for and not what we're against. You know what we're for? We're for love. We're for peace. And you'll preach the gospel in every tribe, tongue, and language. You'll preach the gospel and the world will be turned upside down. The standard is here and his name is Jesus and he'll pick you up and he'll put you in the right place. Good morning, Life Church. How are you doing? Man, you look good. Oh my goodness. Isn't it nice? I know this sounds crazy, but isn't it kind of warm right now outside? Like, I was here a couple weeks ago. It was 12. I was like, oh, Jesus. Jesus, turn the heat on. Who didn't pay the bills? And today it was raining. I was like, ooh, glory, glory to God in the highest. It is so good to be back with you. I missed you. I hope you're doing great. It is awesome to be back at Life Church this morning. And I want you to know something. I, we have cooked up uh, an incredible service, an incredible opportunity for us to dive into the Word of God and get wrecked by Jesus. So I want you to grab your Bible. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. If you just slip up your hand, we'll bring you a Bible because we're going to go into a book of the Bible called Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Now, if you're watching us online, hey, how you doing? This is your Uncle Al Griffin. I'm here hanging out, taking the place of Sean Hennessy. I'm the dark chocolate version. I've just been dipped in chocolate, that's all. And today, you have an opportunity to enjoy the presence of God with us and a great time in the Word with us. If you're watching from the Brown County Convention, Convention Center, the Brown County <laughs> Correctional Institution, we love you, brothers behind the walls, and we want you to know that you're loved here at Life Church. If you don't have a Bible, take ours. If you want to keep it, keep it. This is the church that encourages theft. <laughs> take the word with you. If you want, you can also look on the screens. The word will be there for you. Hey, y'all, I brought my wife with me today. My lady. That's right. We dumped our children on grandma and grandpa and ran for our lives. And we are here. And honey, would you just stand up and wave at everybody? That's my lady down there. Hey, why don't you give me that stuff you have, because i got to talk about that. Give me a kiss while you're up here. Oh, oh, oh. I love my job. I get to kiss my wife in church. This is great. Um, by the way, you can meet my lady. We'll be at the back. And in case you don't know us, we are huggers. Okay, so if you see us in the lobby, we are going to hug you. Do not be afraid. White people, don't be scared. <laughs> Holy Spirit fingers, I'm going to hug you. I will be a little sweaty. It will be moist, but I love you. Don't be scared, okay? And when we're out there, you can pick up some of our ministry material. You can get our series, um, Bad Hair Day, back there. In fact, I worked hard on this. When we open it up, it's DVDs and CDs. You have to go, ooh, ah, like you love it. Ready? Go! I know. It's a great series all about identity in Christ, who you are, knowing who you are in Christ. Um, we have a series back there called Deal or No Deal. Um, you're the best. 
And, and each message has an opportunity for people to come to faith in Christ. So if you have loved ones who have not started their journey with Jesus Christ, you can get them a DVD or a CD, play it for them, and see what God does. I think the Deal or No Deal series is hilarious. It's all about what it means to live holy, but it's, it's all humor because a spoonful of sugar mm -hmm, helps the medicine go. Old people just talked for just then. That was my people. Old people, I love you. If you remember what movie that was, you're really old. Mary Poppins, that's right. Also, you can get our best-selling book, Undefeated, back there, all about what it means to live in victory. And I did. We did. I, I had to do it. I love Jesus clothes. And Jesus clothes is when you wear something and it causes people around you to go, hey, what you wearing, man? What's going on? And you get to share the love of Jesus with other people. And so I, I, I had this idea, and I talked to my people back home, my, my creative people, and they're like, um, you want to do a shirt that just says Jesus? I go, yeah, a shirt that just says Jesus. And they're like, okay. So I made this shirt, and it just says Jesus on the front. And they're like, well, you know, if you want to be cool and sexy, you'll put Jesus on the arm or Jesus on the hip or something like that. I go, no. They're like, why? I go, because I want Jesus to be at the center of everything I do. Jesus is the core. He's the middle. He's the most valuable. He's preeminent. He's the most important. So I put Jesus right down the middle. Then <laughs> I was like, oh, we got to do something fun. So the back, it says he's been lit since Genesis. <laughs> That's right. Lit in, in, in the back glows in the dark. You know why? Because we can. That's why. By the way, if you're a large man in charge, you can have this shirt. This is a 6X. You know what? I got grown people clothes up in here. You little skinny people. Oh, yeah, grown man. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, my people. That's going to be really big on you, but my people. I love that. I love sharing Jesus with clothes. It's so cool. Mark chapter 8. If you're ready, say let's go. If you're not ready, too late, baby. It's on. Mark chapter 8 verse 14 says this, the disciples of Jesus had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see nor understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the, the, the 4,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Father, I pray this morning that you give us understanding. Wisdom that comes from God is supernatural. Father, your word says if we ask you for it, you'll surely give it to us. So we ask supernatural wisdom, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say it. Amen. amen. That's right. I love bread. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gluten-free, y'all. I'm gluten-full. <laughs> and I remember when I was growing up, my mama, especially during the holidays, did you have a good Christmas? Because I did. It was a great Christmas. I ate everything. I'm looking forward to the fast. <laughs> I need to lose. I need Jesus, but I need to drop. Okay, whatever. Now, 
I remember growing up that my mama would make bread from scratch. Some of y'all know what scratch means. It's a good thing. It means you make things from basic elements. And, and she would make bread from scratch. This is spiritual. You'll see. And she would take the dough. Now, what is dough? I'm not sure how she made dough. It was like flour and flour and flour and water, flour. And then she'd knead it into dough. You know what dough is. People here eat cookie dough because it's a gift from God. And you would knead the dough with your hands and you'd work the dough. And my mom would let me watch her knead the dough. And she'd, she'd do cool shapes with the dough. She made it into the shape of my dad's head and she punched it. And then she'd keep kneading the dough. And I'd be like, Mama, can I do it? And I'd be like, ah, you know. And it was so fun. And then she'd make it into a little bowl. And she'd grab a packet of yeast. You know what yeast is. It's, it's this packet of stuff that's alive. When I was a kid, I thought it was like sea monkeys, you know. You put it in a bowl. You put warm water in it. And the warm water activates the yeast. And the yeast comes alive. And then you would pour that little warm water mixture into this little bowl made of dough. And she would knead the yeast into the dough. Really interesting. And then she put a, a towel over the bowl, and we would wait and wait and wait and wait, and all of a sudden, the dough would rise. It's interesting. Then my mom would go in there, take it out of the bowl, and punch it again. Pow! You know, and she'd be like, devil, you know. And then she'd knead it some more and put it back in the bowl, put the towel over the top, and we would wait and wait and wait and wait, and the dough would rise. Really cool. And then she'd heat the oven to 400 degrees and slap that dough in the oven. Now, the reason why I loved bread so much was not just because I like to eat it, because cake was actually better. <laughs> but cake was no fun at all. Like, you make cake, it's sweet the whole time. You, you lick the bowl, you try to eat the, the, <laughs> the batter, your, your mom's like, stop that! Stab you! Or was that just my house? <laughs> and, and, and then she'd pour it into a pan and she'd put it in the oven at 350 degrees, not 400, 350. And I realized something by my mama making bread and my mama making cake that Jesus said this about himself. He said, I, he declared, am the bread of life. And so when he's talking to the disciples about bread, the, the disciples are so confused. In fact, their ignorance was put on display. Jesus would always ask questions that expose the depths of their ignorance. And this particular scene, Jesus says, hey, do you have any bread? And they're like, oh, it, he's mad. We don't have the bread. And I was reading, I thought, you know, my mama brought out some revelation from when I was a little kid. You and I are like Jesus. You're supposed to be bread. You're not supposed to be cake. Mm -hmm. Lean over your neighbor and say, you're bread, not cake. Cake is cute and everything, but if you put cake in the oven, you can't play in the kitchen. How many of y'all remember that? I'll be in the kitchen trying to have fun. My mom be like, stop that tramping around. I'm a cereal foot stomper. Like, I'll go in the kitchen and be like. I just couldn't stop myself. And my mom be like, get out of the kitchen now. Get out of the kitchen. If you tramp around this kitchen, the, the, the cake will It'll fall. Everybody who knows how to bake said fall. Everybody who goes and buys baked goods goes, hmm? 
fall. But what happens to bread? Even though it's in a hotter oven, even though it's in a rougher situation, even though it's been beat down and mistreated, even though all that's taken place at 400 degrees, no matter how much you stomp, no matter how much you tramp, bread will still rise. You are bread, not cake. What Jesus was asking the disciples is, what kind of yeast is in you? What kind of influence is rising up in you when it gets hot, when it gets troublesome, when it gets problematic, when things don't go your way? What rises in you? What is it that causes you to rise? When you're walking in your bedroom at night and you stub your toe, what comes out of your mouth? You know what happens to me? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> so not true. What Jesus wants the disciples to understand is that there are influences around them that are causing them to rise in victory or rise in defeat. It's holy influences that bring abundant life. And what I want you to know before you leave to go to lunch today is that God in 2020 and 2019 as we close out this year wants to give us sight. Right after Jesus talks to the disciples about influences and the influences he's talking about are the, 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 the influences of hypocrisy and religiosity. The Pharisees, hypocrisy. Caesar and the leaders, Herod, religiosity. See, the people that he was talking to were, were so subservient to this war machine of Rome that they would do anything to get along and they refused to take a stand for what they truly believed. What was rising up within them was fear, not faith. And so rather than put themselves in the crosshairs of the Roman war machine, they would agree that Caesar was a god and that God was less than. How sad. I believe that God has called us in a time where our world needs a Jesus witness more than ever to let our light shine before men, to be well lit for Jesus. Huh. I gotta hurry up. I'm now thinking about bread. Doesn't the sandwich sound good right now? Is that just me that thinks thinking about? Okay. So check this out. Right after Jesus tells the disciples this, they come to Bethsaida. Mm -hmm. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, hold up. You ever read the Bible and just go, Urgh. okay, first of all, why is Jesus spitting on people? Is that normal? Preacher, is that spiritual? No, it is not. I have studied extensively. I am three, almost four months away from my doctorate in, in ministry. I'm going to tell you right now, I've studied the mess out of this. Spitting on people ain't normal. It wasn't normal then, it's not normal now. Jesus was interesting. In fact, I will call Jesus the cereal spitter. This is in the Bible. Okay, check it out. There was a guy who couldn't talk. What did Jesus do? He goes, come here, man. Guy's like, okay. Comes over to Jesus, Jesus goes. <laughs> spits in his mouth, in his mouth. The guy's like, <gasps> he's like, swish it around. Gargle. Spit it out. Don't spit it out. That's my glory. Swallow it. That part's not in the Bible. After he spits in the mouth, the man can la 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 talk. Jesus healed the guy with spit, y'all. 
this dude can't see. Jesus goes, come here, man. Bring him over here. And he heals the blind man. I bet if somebody was deaf, Jesus would be like, come here, dude. Like a wet willy miracle. Jesus is awesome. See, that's why they didn't put me in the Bible. Because I'd be walking around like this. Come here. It'd be awesome. I should have stopped earlier. Sorry, Pastor Sean. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him. Jesus said, or asked, do you see anything? Ooh, and power, powerful word. Powerful word there when he said see. That word see is orao. Orao. He says, can you orao? Can you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. Wow. His sight was restored. So important. And he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. There is so much here. I'm telling you, I could preach for two hours, and I'm not because of bread is calling me. I could preach for two hours just on that particular story, right? Just that paragraph I read because there's so much word in the word, so much revelation, so much unpacked truth to grab from that. But let me give you a little tidbit before we head out. Jesus heals a man's sight, but it doesn't happen immediately. Did Jesus mess up? I don't know about you, but I've been reading the Bible since I was about eight years old. About eight years old, I gave my life to Christ, and my mama put a, a, a kid's Bible in front of me. I've been reading it ever since. And I can tell you that you and I have to keep reading. Because the more you and I study the word, the more real, the more powerful, the more understanding we gain. My first 10 years reading the Bible, I was just trying to figure stuff out. Like, who's that? What, was, what does that mean? Were there really frogs? All that stuff. The next 10 years of reading the Bible, oh, it got better. I started to figure out the relationships. Oh, wait a minute. That's his uncle. Oh, I get it. And then the next 10 years. I'm following now. The next 10 years reading the Bible, I started looking at history and archaeology and culture and, and, and different things. And now, y'all, it's gotten to a point where all I look for are the little things. The little things. I know the stories. I know the history. I, I know a lot of the culture. Now I'm looking at words, phrases, locations, things that, that don't always come immediately to the surface. You know what I caught here? I caught this. That you and I will never have a full grasp or understanding of the word of God until we allow three things to be united in our mindset. We need to allow theology, science, and technology to combine. The minute we allow this to happen, it's why this world has been fighting and there seems to be this pervasive you know, argument between science and theology. It's really not. It's the enemy of our soul. That's a spiritual influence in this world, satanic influence, that's trying to separate science and Bible. But the reality is both of them back each other up 100% all the time. We just don't have the brains always to understand it. 
But in this situation, science, theology, and technology help us understand exactly what happens in this scripture. Because when I was eight years old or 10 years old, I read this story for the first time and I thought Jesus messed up. I was like, Jesus tried to heal somebody and failed, y'all. Ah, there's hope for me in math class. <laughs> but the reality was, I just didn't know the, the science behind the miracle. <laughs> this is so good. Do you know how your eyes work? This is great. This is how we learn what took place in this miracle and how our vision will be restored and why Jesus talked about bread to begin with. This is so good. It's so good. Your, your vision works as light comes in, as electromagnetic radiation traveling in waves. The, the frequency of the waves determines the hue or the color. The amplitude, the height or depth of the wave determines the brightness of that light or that radiation. Your retina has millions of photoreceptors that transforms electromagnetic signals to electrical signals for the visual cortex within the thalamus to bring understanding. Over half of your brain's uh, function is sight. Half of your cerebral cortex is involved in vision. That's incredible. And, and, and if we're to understand what Jesus did, we've got to understand the science, the study of our own bodies. I discovered through reading this how far-sighted and near-sighted works. Of course, far-sighted means you see well from far, but near up close you don't. Near-sighted means you see well up close, but you can't see very far away well. I didn't even know how that worked. I didn't realize that it was your lens, the shape of your lens, convex or, or more so concave, that determines your nearsighted or your farsighted. So if you struggle with vision, seeing things before they're done, maybe it's because you're out of shape. Round is a shape. But I think what Jesus was talking about here is that his disciples didn't have vision and they were being influenced improperly. Therefore, they didn't have the vision they needed to have. They couldn't see what they needed to see. In fact, they were seeing improperly or they were seeing things the wrong way. Huh. Interesting. I learned that after 40 years old, you and I experience something called presbyopia, which means that we get what, what the, the medicine describes as old eye. And that's why our lens, it, 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 it's not as flexible and it's harder to see as we read. And so we use readers. I also learned that you can train your eyes to correct that with exercises. And I decided just to buy some readers. How do we find ourselves in this shape where we can see what Jesus sees and experience what Jesus experienced and live in a way that will cause us to be influenced by the right and not influenced by failure? How do we do it? There's a couple things you need to know. The first thing Jesus did is he grabbed the blind man and carried him out of town. He grabbed him by the hand and walked him out of town. Did you notice that in the story? Remember, little things. It's the only time Jesus ever removed somebody from where they were to heal them. And the last time. He usually heals them right there on the spot. Jesus took the man out of the town. So now we need to understand what the town means. The town is Bethsaida. Bethsaida. That name means house of the hunt. It was a city where everybody was chasing after the newest, hottest, greatest, most incredible, most trending thing. But they never really fully surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ's gospel. 
In fact, at the, towards the end of Jesus' life, he says, woe unto thee. That, that's scary when Jesus says that. He says, woe unto you, Kerosene. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. If I had done the miracles that I did in you in other places, they would have ran and accepted the, the gospel. But you, he says, couldn't see me. You couldn't see me. You were distracted by the hunt. Everywhere, you're just looking at everything else, running every which way, but you weren't seeing Christ the way he really was. Isn't that amazing? Because we live in a society that runs and chases after all kinds of things, but not always the eternal things because they can't see. Hmm. He got the man out of the town, and the Bible says this. That he spit on his eyes. Remember, that's nasty. But then he laid his hands on him, and then he said this. What do you orau? That word is so powerful because that word brings full understanding that the link between theology and technology and science is bound in perfection. He says, what does your orau means? What does your mind see? The man said, I see people look like trees. Let me explain what Jesus just did. You see, um, have you ever watched uh, YouTube a lot? I love YouTube. It's like my favorite TV channel. And on YouTube, they have these miraculous surgeries where people who are blind their whole life receive their sight through the powers of modern medicine. And they're able to, some of the times, even bring correction to the optic nerve so people can see. For the first time in their life, they show a little baby who never could see. And for the first time, they, the baby sees their mom, they're like, ah! They're so excited, and I get excited, and I'm crying because these people who couldn't see can see. But you know what happens to the people who couldn't see but now can see? Frustration, resentment, depression, pain. What? What are you talking about? Oh, man. First of all, I'm going to tell you this. Disability is a horrible word. Oh, this person's blind. They're disabled. No, they're not. They're diff-abled, not disabled. Just because somebody doesn't do the same things you do the way you do it doesn't mean that they're, they're, they have a failure point in their body. No. They're differently abled. They're, 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 they have blessings maybe in other areas you and I can't even talk about. Here's how diff-abled this blind man was. See, when blind people go a long period without sight, and then they can see, they, they go through something that is called visual agnosia. You ever heard that word agnostic? An agnostic is someone who says, I believe that there's an entity out there somewhere that is a higher power, but I can't, I can't describe it or see it to you. It, it, Visual agnosia means this. Someone who could not see before that now can see has no categories in their mind for what they're seeing. Therefore, what they're seeing becomes a major point, a point of irritation, pain, depression, and sorrow. Because they have no category. These people also can look at a tree and go, that's a bird, because they don't have a category for a bird. They can look at a tiger and go, that's a camel, because they have no category of a tiger. And they can look at a man and go, you're a child. Or look at a woman and go, you're a kitty cat. They can look at a dog and go, you're a blessed dog from heaven. Cats go to Satan, dogs go to Jesus. <laughs> that's not in the Bible. Now, 
Do you know how they fix this problem? Ooh, this is good. Worship team, get ready because I'm almost done. This is so good. Do you know how they fix uh, a visual agnosia? <laughs> L-O-V-E. That's how they fix it. Love. Jesus took the man out of the town, a town where he's been his whole life, a town where even his family didn't care. What? Yeah, hold up. Who brought the blind man to Jesus? The Bible says some people, not his family. That's jacked up. This man was brought to Jesus. And Jesus goes, let me get you out of this town where everybody's chasing after everything, but they don't understand the one true thing that matters, which is love. He gets him out, isolates the man. He lays his hands on him and says, what do you see? He says, I don't even know what I'm seeing. People look like trees. I don't even know what I'm seeing. Visual agnosia. Jesus had healed the man's vision, but the man couldn't see. He couldn't oral. His mind needed healing too. So Jesus didn't do one miracle. Jesus did two. The man was given sight, but the man couldn't see. Y'all should be shouting right now. Where are my black people at? Y'all should be shouting. How many of you have met people that have sight, but they can't see? They can't see you for who you really are. They, you, you go to work and they don't appreciate you for what you do. You, you, you might have been married for 25 years and you just started seeing each other. Because now you can appreciate what each other's brought to the table. Maybe this is your second marriage and now you take it more seriously. Now you can see. I love that Jesus is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance because I couldn't always see him right. But in the eyes of love, mm, I need a victim. Yes, you. I need you. Come here. Come here, handsome white chocolate man. Do you know how science has figured out how to heal? I did not ask you earlier. I'm sorry. Do you know how science has figured out how to heal visual agnosia? It's so weird. This is what they do. They say that someone who's been blind a long time, usually they only have a few close friends, right? They say, who do you love the most? Who knows you the most? Who do you know the most? And they'll have that person get really close within 18 inches of their face. And they'll look at them in the eyeballs. That person who's been struggling with visual agnosia will stare into the eyes of someone they fully love and fully trust for just 30 seconds. And after 30 seconds, their visual cortex begins to open up pathways so that they can assign categories of values and understanding. And they'll put that person in their face for 18, 18 inches away for 30 seconds. Then they'll remove them and go, this is a towel. This is a tablet. This is a cat. This is a dog. Dogs are good. Cats are evil. The whole time they do that, the person is building categories. And then when the person gets weary, they'll say, okay, wait, we'll, we'll pause for a couple minutes. And then they'll put the love in their eyes again. And the visual pathways will open up. Literally, love opens the mind to receive the information that allows you to visually value your world. And without love, we can't see either. Get out of here, handsome. Love literally heals the mind, heals our sight, gives us the ability to value what is truly valuable.
So Jesus healed his vision, and then Jesus healed his mind. And when Jesus finished, he said, okay, guy, here's the deal. Don't go back in the village. Go home first. Why? Because love need to go home. Obviously, there was a love problem at his house. The people that brought him to the healer were not his family. And Jesus wanted him to know that healing had come to him, but that healing wasn't supposed to stop there. That healing was supposed to continue at his home. I don't know about you, but I want love in my house. I want my family to know that above all and in all, I love them, God loves them, and there's nothing they can do about it. How do I bring love home? You have to have a vision. Let me say it in a better way. You and I have to have constant encounters with Jesus. How? When we read the Bible. How? When we talk to him. How? When you heard us singing songs, you're like, why are we singing for 20 minutes? What's that about? Because we're encountering Jesus in another manner, in worship. Nothing else in creation does what you do. You have the power to worship God. And when you do, the Bible says he draws near to those who worship him. He even draws near to those who are sorrowful when they're worshiping him. He even draws near to those who are jacked up like me, messed up people. when they're. He loves the brokenhearted. He doesn't reject any of us because he's not on the hunt for the coolest person, the greatest person, the trending person. No, the Bible says his eyes look to and fro looking for whom he may love. And it's you. Jesus has his eye on you. And when you and I focus our attention on him, we get value, identity, purpose, Everything comes through the eyes of love. So are blind people disabled? I think they might be better off because they don't have to see the lies. And when they receive sight, it's only real love that gives them values of what they see. What do you see? Who do you see? Maybe you've been walking by people at work and not seeing them. Maybe you and I have been walking by people in the mall, walking by people at school and not truly seeing them. Maybe they're not getting the love they need and deserve because you and I have missed it because our values haven't been adjusted by a vision or an encounter in relationship with Jesus. If you'd like to get back into shape. In a moment, we're gonna pray. God is going to speak life and breathe life into you. He's gonna give us the ability to see what we're supposed to see and to love everyone. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Me too. Take your right hand and put it over your heart right now. And I want you to, to just listen to this prayer and then I want you to pray with me. Father, I pray for my friends right now that you and I, the, the God, all of us would encounter uh, the love that you have for us. All of us would look directly into you, your love for us. Father, it's a spiritual transformation. It happens when we engage spiritual things with this physical body. Father, as we read your word, as we study to know more about you, as we pray, as we sing and worship you, as we live a life befitting of a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ, Lord God, we begin to have value for this world that comes from a vision of you. 
Father, I pray that you give us that vision today. You give us that understanding today. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, and you want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're thinking, Alan, I want to start my Jesus journey. I want a journey in a relationship with Christ. I want that. I want a relationship with him that will change everything about me and, and make me a better version of who I am. If that's you, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. As soon as you put it up, you can put it right back down. Here we go. One, two, three. Throw it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see hands all over. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Anyone else? Yeah. Yes. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Yeah. I love it. Just say this prayer with me. We'll start our journey together. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I need your forgiveness to take away all my sins. I confess you as Lord, King, best friend of my life forever. In Jesus' name, amen.